Well, good morning. My name is John Allen. Welcome to Risen Church. Uh, As I mentioned, sort of while I was praying this morning, we have the honor and privilege of hearing from Clayton Green this morning. And so Clayton is uh, the Summit Collaborative Director. Is that right? Okay. Every time I'm like questioning it. So Summit Collaborative Director. So Summit Church is a church in North Carolina uh, where Hannah and I spent some time and then they sent and commissioned us back to Virginia Beach. And so here we are as Risen Church and we are part of the Summit Collaborative. It's a family of churches. Uh, You guys, you may have seen videos that we've done and some of the, from some of the conferences that we've been a part of and uh, just people that were just kind of trained up and we um, just bounce things off one another and just love one another like family. And so I'm really thankful for the Summit Collaborative, and uh, it's an honor to have him here this morning. He is also uh, not unfamiliar with church planting or beach community. So he uh, was the executive pastor of the Bridge Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, And so uh, he has now been for, I think, two years, he said, two years in this position as the uh, Summit Collaborative Director. Um, And as I said in the first service, he had some big shoes to fill in that role, but he has fully filled them, and not only filled them, he's made them his own, and he's updated them, and he's put a little style to them, which I like. So um, I'm very appreciative uh, of him and really thankful that he is here, and he has a powerful word for you this morning, and so I want to encourage you to take notes and then go back and listen to it again uh, online. So um, I'm really thankful for him this morning. I want to invite him up and uh, give him a hand as he comes up. Let's welcome him up. It's all yours. Yeah, so thank you for letting me be here with you this morning, I appreciate the introduction. Um, just a little bit more about me. Um, my wife's name is Kristen. Uh, they were here in the first service. They are now back at the pool or the beach or something, right? Um, I have two daughters. Uh, Kara is almost 10. She's in that phase where it's like, I have to say almost 10. You can't say nine anymore. She's actually not 10 yet. So she's almost 10. Susan is eight years old. And so we're excited to be here with you today. And, you know, the truth is, um, you know, John talked about how, you know, I'm familiar, spent some time in, in Wilmington as the executive pastor of one of our churches there. I also grew up in a city named Tabor City. It's not a city. It's a town. Um, and it's about 30 minutes from North Myrtle Beach. And that's where we would go to the movies. That's the kind of where we, who is, who there has heard of Tabor City? Great. We got one. All right. We did it. <laughs> I did that in the first service. We had one. We had one. Thank you for coming to the 11. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, we were fortunate enough that my aunt had a place at the beach. Uh, my grandparents had a place down at North Myrtle Beach as well. And so spent a lot of, a lot of good summers down there. And so I, I, I recognize that I'm a tourist in your town, right? Like you live here and I'm one of those people causing traffic problems. Like I, I get that that is, is what, I'm, what I'm doing. This is actually the first time in my entire life that I, we're staying like on the, board, the boardwalk or whatever you guys call it, the oceanfront. So we're, we're staying there, and like when I walked down to the beach the first time, and I turned around and I saw the, I was like, God, this is not how you're supposed to do the beach, right? I mean, like I was used to like being at like, like a little a beach house that's up on stilts and like walking a couple of blocks to the beach. Then you get there, it's kind of yeah, this is it's very different. So I reckon I, today I'm a tourist, but I kind of I know what it's like, right? So give me a little bit of that grace because you just got introduced to me, and so in some ways I have to have some cred in order for you to understand what I, like to like listen to what I'm saying in the next couple of minutes. Um, 
I was initially trained as a physical therapist. Then I moved. I was the executive pastor in Wilmington. Then I moved back to, to Raleigh-Durham. And now I'm the director of the Summit Collaborative. The Summit Collaborative is a family of churches that try to make sure that all those churches are flourishing. We continue to work those churches towards continued multiplication. We want to keep planting more churches. So the way we do that is we identify leaders through relationships. That means that the leaders that are here in this room, like you're a part of our family, and we want to help you continue to lead in this church. Maybe someday you'll actually go move with a plant or plant a church. Um, maybe you'll just stay here and you'll be a leader in, in this church, and we would love that. And we consider you a part of the family. We also support each other like family, which means like I don't have like a huge group with me that is helping you know do a lot and teach a lot to all of our 59 churches across the country. It just means that I have a big Rolodex of people that are at churches across the country, that if John has a problem, like I can give him all of those phone numbers and they'll answer the call. We support each other like family. And then we champion each other's multiplication, which means when there is a multiplication happening, when there is a church that is being planted, we all kind of get behind it. We train those people. We send them. We send money. We do all those things. You do that collectively with 59 churches all across the country. And so I'm excited to be able to be here um, as a part of your family today. Uh, let me pray. And then we'll, we'll jump into the, the passage for the morning. Father, thank you for, um, for your goodness, for your grace. Let me increase, let me decrease, you increase. Um, help us be encouraged um, today in the life that you have for us now and the life that you have for us in the future. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, um, about two years ago, I decided that I was going to get a little bit more healthy. Um, so a, a number of different things kind of play into that. Um, I was, my, my dad has a little bit of a cardiac history, um, and so I really wanted to kind of make sure that I was taking care of myself as my, my girls were growing up. Um, I wanted to, I was kind of at that point in my life where the metabolism starts to do this, right, as, as does my activity level because, you know, work is doing this. It's kind of a, a bad confluence of factors there. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to be healthy. But here, here's the thing is you can't, if you're trying to be healthy, you can't just not be unhealthy. You hear what I'm saying? It's like if you want to be healthy, it, it can't just be like I'm not going to eat a donut, you know, for every meal every day, right? That's not enough. That's a good start, right? You want to, you want to, want to not do unhealthy things, but you actually also have to live into some really healthy things that are actually good for you. There's a little bit of that going to happen in this passage today. We're going to die to ourself, put to death the self, but actually live into the new self. You can't just do the one. You can't just pin down your sins. You've got to actually live into Christ. But, so that living into it physically for me in terms of not just not being unhealthy, but actually being healthy is that two years ago I started training for um, a triathlon. I did one, and then I kind of like fell off the wagon a little bit, so I'm not quite ready to go race a triathlon against you this afternoon, but I started, um, I started training for a triathlon, which, to use the analogy of the passage here today, put to death the old self and to uh, live into the new self, when you begin to train for some kind of physical activity like that, it feels like you're putting yourself to death, right? Does anybody feel that? Right? We're like, it feels like death when you're doing it, and it definitely feels like death the next day, right? Or the next day after that. Like, now, I recognize in the context that I'm in that some of you you know, exercise and physical fitness is a part of your job. For the rest of us civilians, exercise can be a little bit hard, okay? So um, that's what I was, was dealing with. I was putting to death the old self and living into the new self by doing some new things. That's what today's passage is about, is this death-to-life experience, not physically necessarily, but spiritually 
the death, the life experience that we're offered in Christ. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this passage. Uh, you've already held up your Bibles. It's Colossians 3, 5 through 11. And as we walk through this passage, I'm going to show you about this death, the life experience, why this death, the life experience is important, what the death, it li- death to life experience, the old self, the new self experience is, how we go that death to life experience, and when that death to life experience happens. All right? Colossians 3, verse 5. It says straight out of the gate, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, first we're going to talk about the why this death to life experience is important, right? And the why is found in that word, therefore. So whenever you see the word, therefore, it actually is referencing something before that is a necessary thing to understand in order to get to this place of actually putting to death what is earthly in you. So let's go back and read verses 1 through 4. That's where the therefore comes from. It says, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, whom is your life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. So first things first here, before we get to the portion of put to death the, the, the earthly things, put to death yourself, the earthly parts of yourself, verses 1 and 2 here say, seek the things that are above and set your minds on the things that are above. We have to go back when we see the word therefore because that's really, really important Because if we are actually trying to kind of pare back and put to death the sins that are happening in our life before we've actually set our minds on the things that are above, we've got our order switched. It is very common for Christians, or at least for people to experience some Christians, who are talking to people who are outside of the faith. They have yet to see the goodness of God and want to follow Him. And they are, from our perspective, we see them living in their earthly self and sins that are kind of abounding. Sometimes we see those things in ourselves, but we see those outside and we say, you need to pare that back. You need to pull that in. You can't be doing that, right? In some situations, I think we kind of get our order wrong. What we should be saying to people who are outside of the faith is not first first put to death your sinful self. The first thing we see is in verse 1 and 2 here, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We need to point them to God. They see his beauty. They understand what Christ has done for them. They want to follow that. Then we say, now another thing here, let's put to death the old self and live into a new self because it's so good. At that point, they want that good. Right? We have to get our order here correctly. So what we're looking for in these verses is why this death to life experience is important and why we should seek it. Paul is saying, therefore... And he's referencing back that because you have been raised with Christ, because your life is hidden with Christ and God, now put to death what is earthly in you. The reason you should put the old self to death is because Christ has done what is necessary to free you from yourself. Then you can put the death to self. This is why it's so important. This concept of death to life, putting to death the old self and living to the new self, it pervades all of Scripture. It's actually a very natural thing that we see in our, our world as well. It's a beautiful thing that we should all want to participate in. That's why this death to life thing is really great. You can see it most clearly and most importantly in the center with Christ, with his death and resurrection. What happened on the cross is that Jesus died for us and then rose again 
breaking the power of death on our bodies. It's at the center of our story is a death-to-life experience. It is the power for our story is a death-to-life experience. We actually mimic that in baptism. What happens in baptism is a person goes into the water, representing that they're being put in the tomb, they're dying with Christ, participating in his death, and then what happens? We don't keep them there. They rise again to the newness of life. So we're actually at the center is the power. It's a practice that we do in baptism. There also, it's, we see this in nature. There's a verse that points out something that happens every day. It says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it won't bear any fruit. The death to life experience, the old to the new, is a, is a story that is told over and over and over. Our earth tells that story every year. Winter comes, things go dormant. Animals and plants and everything changes. And then spring comes and everything comes newly to life again. A cyclical reminder of this beauty that God is drawing us into. A death to life experience. The old to the new experience. Uh, As I was studying in order to teach today, I read this piece that actually said that in the early church, people would actually come to the baptism with one set of clothes. They would leave that set of clothes and then wear a new set of clothes home as a representation of this dying, of this death of the old self and this living into the new self. And so I think that Risen Church, y'all are going to do that now. So if you get baptized, you've got to bring clothes and you've got to keep them. Stay here. Just kidding. But it's a neat idea, right? I mean, it's a beautiful idea. But it actually is much easier to say than it is to do. What Paul's talking about here, we all kind of feel that tension of wanting to do one thing, but feeling our life kind of pulling us in another direction. We want to respond in love to our friend who is being frustrating to us, but we don't respond in love. We respond in anger back to them, or silence, or some, some sort of harbored anger there. We want to respond in love and parent our kids in a certain way, but we end up rolling our eyes at them and just begging for time to pass until they go to sleep. Like we, don't, we want to live in one way, but we actually live in another way and we feel that tension. In Romans 7, we actually see that tension like written out very clearly. I will have to look at my paper because there's a lot of do nots and do's and do's in this passage. Um, verse 15, Romans 7, it says this, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to live in the new life, but I do the very thing that I hate to live in my old self. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. That's the old self. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's the old self. That is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. That's the new self, but not the ability to carry it out. That's the old self. Skip down to verse 24. It says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? How do I get out of this tension? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's all over scripture. It's all over life. Old self to new self. Life in the flesh to life in the spirit. A life in prison to yourself to a life set free. Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde. I always forget which one is the good person there and which one is the cruel one, but that's the tension that we feel in our lives. Paul's saying that's the tension that he felt in his life. So here's the thing. You feel that tension? I think you're in the right spot. I think that you're where you should be. And in fact, if you don't feel the tension, 
that's the place that would probably be concerning. If you're not feeling this tension of that God is calling you to one thing, but daily it feels like you wake up and you're doing something else, if you're not feeling that tension, there's a couple of different places that I think that you might be. Let me cut the tension in the room by giving you a list. One, you're in heaven. Two, you have a lot of blind spots. Three, you might be a Pharisee. Or four, you might be Jesus. Okay, so here, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you those. <laughs> if you're not feeling the tension, you might be in heaven, and I don't think you are because I don't think I am, all right? So we're all here. If you can hear me, I think that that's not you. So you sh- if you're not feeling the tension, you might have huge blind spots. There might be things in your life that your friends and family know that you're responding to them You're living in a way that is not consistent with the new self that God is calling us to, and you're just ignoring the fact that that's actually there. You're minimizing it, rather. Ask your friends. They'll tell you about your blind spots. Okay? Uh, You might be a Pharisee, and the room gets cold again, all right? You might be a Pharisee, meaning if you feel as if you've got this thing figured out, you you feel like you always do the right thing, but you live such a holy life that you don't feel like there's that tension that you like sometimes are doing things that you do not want, like Romans 7 talks about. If you feel like that's you, you might be a Pharisee. And Jesus was very hard on Pharisees. I don't think that we're going to get to the place where you are able to live that perfectly holy life until Jesus is finished with us when we are in heaven. Back to point one. And then point four I put in there just because it was funny. You might be Jesus, which I don't think that you are. All right? Jesus is Jesus. All right? That tension is an okay place to be. It might be the best place for you to be. So one is why this death to life experience? Why this old self to new self experience? And it's because Christ made a way for us to have a full life in him and because this is what God is calling us to in his story. That's why, okay? So what? What is this old self to new self experience? Let's look at the passage again. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What is earthly in you, you ask? Here's the first list. There's two. First list, sexual immorality, impurity, which in, in the original language is, again, a sexual word. Passion, not as sexual a word, but it still kind of works in there. Evil desire, not a sexual word. Covetedness, which I will call greed, so I don't have to say covetedness in a lot of times. And greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, be careful, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. This is the first list of the what is happening in this old self to new self process. This is the old self. And I'll summarize this for you, the sexual ones and the non-sexual ones as well. Be careful when you read scripture to not read those sexual ones and say, ah, that, that's the main thing. This greed piece, we all have in us as well, okay? But this The summary of this first list is this is the things that we go out into the world and we try to pull into ourselves in order to give ourselves a good and and pleasuring experience. Let me go gather all the things and bring them here so that it is good for me and I have the best experience that I can potentially have. That, friends, is the old self. And I, unfortunately, live in that self a lot of times. I go out and I'm saying, what can I get for myself so that I can have a good experience? What can I go out and gain so that today is easier for me? All the time. I'm living in that tension. Let's look at the second list, verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Second list, anger, wrath. That's when anger lashes out at someone else. 
malice, when you're harboring the anger, slander, when you're speaking about someone else, and obscene talk from your mouth. <clears throat> this isn't the list of things that you're bringing in to bring pleasure to yourself. This is the list of things when you're going out in order to control and exert your power over others for your own good. Anger, wrath, malice, slatter, and obscene talk through your mouth is me lashing out at others in order to have power and control over them, ultimately to be good for myself. So if you put those two together, what is happening here is I am at the center of the story that I am telling. One part of me wants to bring pleasure to myself. One part of me wants to exert control over you so that I can have good again, right? Those two lists are both telling the story of me being at the center. That's the old self. Now, what is the new self? Look at verse 9. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we already talked about what is the, the old self that we're putting to death. It's not doing those things. This is the living into the new self portion, right? Like at the beginning when I said you can't just not be unhealthy, you actually have to live into being healthy. Those first two lists are the not do the things in the flesh, and this aspect is actually living into the goodness that God has for you. And how do you do that? Through the knowledge after the image of its creator. It's growing, it's pondering, it's looking at, it's being mesmerized by, it's being in awe of God and his goodness and Jesus and what he has done for you, and then centering your life on that rather than centering your life on yourself. We kind of have two errors sometimes. Sometimes we think, if I believe something, everything's fine. Some of us think that if I behave a certain way, then everything's fine. I'm here to tell you today, and this passage is here to tell you today, that the call of what our lives should be and how they should be lived out is way more comprehensive than just something that you might think or a thing that you might do. It is the very core identity of your life. Try to change what you believe. It will help. It won't change everything. Try to change what you do. It will help, but it won't fix everything. Change the core foundation of your life, and it'll change everything. You have to go from the old self centered on yourself to the new self centered on God, and then everything else lives out of a flow of that. But how hard is that? Just remake your foundation at the core? I mean, how much money do you have for counseling? Like, it's ex in exceptionally hard. So we talked about why, because this is the story that God is telling. We talked about what old self centered on myself, new self centered on God. How do we actually do that? That's the third part. That's the how. How do we actually do that? And the how we do that, I see in verses 9 and 10, but I'm going to center on two of those words. It says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, that's one of the words, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, being renewed, and knowledge after the image of its creator. Practices and being renewed. That's where I'm going to center the how, okay? First, practices. Practices, it's not just what you believe, it's also what you're doing, right? What you do is what you love, what is natural in you. So you do need to change what you're doing. You need to change some of your behaviors in order to lead your heart in a certain direction. Our faith is an is a, is a embodied faith, and so we must practice it. You can't just believe it, you have to practice it with your whole life. This is why I love the word practices, and this is what I want to press on you today. Someone who has been practicing for 70 years and someone who has practiced for one day are both practicing 
and they are both doing the same thing. Here, I'll make the point. A 10-year-old in a driveway on a rim that is sideways with no net on it, and they're shooting with no lines to know where the free throw line or the three-point line is, and they're dribbling and they're shooting the basketball, what are they doing? Practicing. Steph Curry, making millions and millions of dollars and never missing a shot with a goal that might have been installed yesterday and was measured by like 10 different people to make sure it was perfect. A beautiful net that goes every time that he shoots the ball. (laughs) And a painted court in a stadium of thousands of seats that actually are going to make the money that they're going to pay him millions of dollars and he's sitting there and shooting free throws. What is Steph Curry doing? All of us can practice. All of us are practicing our faith. Our faith is not one that you gather and obtain and now you have Uh, your salvation is i'm going to talk about in a minute when i talk about when it is secure but our our faith is something that we practice it's something that we actually live in and if you're not living in it you might be in some ways putting to death the old self but you're not actually living in the new self yet you have to practice your faith you have to practice your faith together and just as an encouragement to all of you this right here this is practicing your faith this like gathering and, and singing and hearing the word and praying together, that is practicing your faith, okay? So what we're doing, we're talking about how we go from the old self to the new self, and, and one is practice. Two is I want to give you some grace in that practice by talking about that, the, the words being renewed. When it says you are being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator, what is happening is that you are reworking, you are renewing your whole life, you are, you are renewing your mind, Right? So I have two friends back from Wilmington that were counselors. They were at the bridge. They now live down in Florida. And they actually love talking about the fact that you, um, about how your brain has wired patterns. All the way back from childhood, all through your life, you kind of get used to these patterns where you're like, if this happened, then I do this. If this happened, then I do this. If, and that's how your brain is wired. Our work in our, our faith, our spirituality, is actually renewing those pathways. Because some of those pathways are healthy. And we all know that a lot of those pathways are not healthy, right? Here, I'll just say a couple of fun ones for you, all right? In stress, I love ice cream, y'all. It's real. I mean, if I've had a stressful day, it actually gives me, like, joy and satisfaction just to down a whole bunch of ice cream, okay? Maybe not the best pathway, okay? Maybe not a horrible one either. Um, In anxiety, if I'm worried about something, if something's kind kind of running in my mind over and over and over again, which I struggle with anxiety from time to time, uh, all the time, um... I look at Twitter because scrolling, kind of getting my mind out of it, kind of like, like dissociating myself from some of that anxiety. It's, it's, that's a, just a, a pathway in my brain. It just happens naturally, right? Uh, if I have a sad day at work, I love to buy something on Amazon, right? Oh, it's going to be great, and it'll be here in two days. You know, it'll be, <laughs> something's going to be better. These are pathways that are in my mind. This verse, and in many other places in Scripture, it says that I am... In Christ, being renewed in the knowledge of the Creator, where I'm renewing my mind and breaking some of those pathways and creating new pathways. But this kind of core foundational change, again, the how, is really, really hard. So um, I've, been, I've been doing this, I've been praying recently, trying to kind of work this kind of the picture of the roots of myself being, the roots of my life, the foundation of my life being found in myself and the things that I'm doing, and actually uprooting that and planting again 
with God as the center. Old self, me at the center, new self, God at the center. I've been praying, trying to visualize and ask God to help me uproot from here and then root down over here. And in that process, I'll give you two examples, and then I'm going to ask you some questions to see what those might be for you as well. So two examples for me um, is, it was harder for me to say this one with Kristen in the room. It's easier for me to say it now. Kristen was here in the first service, but I, I recognized in prayer over the past couple of weeks that um, I am really shaken and bothered when Kristen, my wife, has a hard day or is shaken and bothered by something. I'm not bothered by the actual thing she's bothered by. I'm just bothered by the fact that she's bothered, right? And it often, if you're married in the room, you know how this is going to happen, right? She's stressed by something. I'm stressed by her being stressed. It doesn't work out very well, okay? It, this is a very common fight that we end up, end up having. In, in prayer of the past week, it's just become aware to me that my old self, the identity that's centered on me, the root of that is actually Kristen's happiness. And so if, but is, is Kristen stable enough to support my life? No. And that's why we get a lot of these behavioral things out of this old self is because I'm planted in something that is not stable. Yeah. In prayer, Kristen's her own person. Kristen is made in the image of God. God, you made her and you take care of her and I have a responsibility with her and I'm supposed to love her, but she is not my foundation. You are my foundation. You don't, you don't change. You're the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You're, whatever is going on in her life doesn't change who you are. And if I'm planted over here, I'm actually much more prepared to help her with what is going on in her life. Foundation, old self, new self. I'll give you one more, and then I'll ask you to do the same thing, but you don't have to say it in the mic, okay? Um, the second one, this past week, I was very surprised by this one. I never really thought that I was driven that much by money, right? Which is maybe a silly thing to think. Maybe I had a blind spot. I never really thought that. In the past couple of weeks, I've recognized that in searching for stability in my life, I want to be rich to the point that I can go and make a decision and not have to worry about how much money is in my bank account. And we're not there yet, okay? I say yet because I'm still trying. But, I mean, oh, wait, there it was again. See, it's still there. It's in the root. But my money cannot provide security and satisfaction, even as much as you have. I mean, I could provide you a litany of quotes by very rich people that still feel the same thing. It cannot. It is unstable. It is not a good foundation. This is where the old self lives. God, help me not need money in order to provide security. Let me please plant it over here. I am your creation. I am your child. That doesn't change. It can't change, regardless of if my house and my car even get taken from me. This is where a foundation is stable. This is the new self. This is the old self. So I want to ask you the question, what bothers you? I bet most of you already know what it is. What shakes you? What keeps you up at night? Is it the success of your kids? What keeps you up at night? Is it making that next payment? What keeps you up at night? Is it your own physical health? What gives you anxiety and won't stop running in your mind? What's the first thing that you think of in the morning that makes you feel a little bit stressed as soon as you open your eyes? These things can and usually are good things, like Kristen and money, not inherently a bad thing. But they are things that are not strong enough to be our foundation and our identity. So I want to lead you through something. I think most of you probably have it. You might have three. <laughs> I don't know how many you have. Let's pick one, and I want to give you a moment to pray, and then I'll pray, and we'll all, I'll, I'll finish the sermon, okay? But I just want to give you a moment here 
to, to think and ponder and ask God to help you to uproot your life from this piece that is an unstable form of identity and actually to move you to the new self where he is the center of your life, okay? So um, close your eyes. I'll start praying. I'll give you about 30 seconds of silence. It's not weird. It's intentional. I mean, it might be weird, but it's intentional. And then, and then I'll pray, and we'll finish the sermon. Father, help us all now to see and recognize good and lovely things that you have given us that are not safe for our identity and should not be the center of our lives. Let us see you as the center of our lives. We give this time to you. Father, thank you for your goodness. Um, please show us and help us see and respect the relationship that we should have to these things, um, many of them which are good, at least at the very bottom, are good desires that you have put in us that we've kind of distorted and, and applied too much pressure and foundation on different things in our lives. God, we love these things. We know that you love us and that you want good things for us we also recognize in this moment that these things can't be our identity and our foundation. They are the identity and foundation of an old self that we fight and battle with every day that we want to step away from. We want to live anew. God, you are our foundation. Our roots are planted here. We are your creation. We are your children. And that can't change. That won't change. And from this place, we have the ability to be ministers of your reconciliation to the world. And, it's, and it brings... It's good for us, and it brings you your glory. And we want it so bad, but we also feel the tension that it's hard to live here. God, let this moment be a moment that, that draws us a little bit closer to living fully in that way. It draws us a little bit closer to living in the new self as you continue to do your work in our lives. We give you these things, and we give you our lives. In your son's name, amen. All right, who feels renewed? Yeah, all right, we got a couple. Good, we did it, we did it, we did it. It is, it is something that you can feel renewed now. Daily for me, I wake up with one operating system, and I have to reboot that operating system to run it in a different way. And so you can feel it now, and we also, you can feel it more in the future, in this future and in an even far-reaching future as well. So we've done why, because it's the story that Jesus is telling. He died and he rose again, and we're participating in that. We've talked about what? putting to death the old self and living in the new self. We've talked about how. We've talked about m being able to practice and daily being renewed over time. And now we're going to talk about when. And the when is both now and is in the future. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I found out that uh, I was taking two words in my Bible and I was making them the same when they're actually not. The two words are eternal and everlasting. Eternal and everlasting are two words talking about um, life or, and salvation, right? And so when you see those two words in Scripture, I was thinking that they were the same thing, and I was thinking that it meant this age, but also in the age to come. And so as people in the West, most of us think of those words as, at the end of my life, that's when this next thing begins, right? So eternal and everlasting, that's everlasting, all right? And our life 
and our salvation is everlasting. Okay? It is in the next life. It does continue to go forever, right? That is true in the scripture. But the word eternal, that's actually a, a fullness word, and it means more here and now, right? It is something that can be experienced. So this old self, the new self, death to life type of experience that we can have is now and not yet. It is now, and it will be more full in the future. There's this approximation of a life that we live now that kind of feels that tension of old self and new self, and it gets to the point in the everlasting when there's no more tension anymore. You have been made new, and it is done, and you get to experience that at that time. So that is eternal now. It is fullness. There is everlasting that is in the future, and then that everlasting future will be eternal. It will be full, right? There's an approximation and alignment there that is beautiful and something that we can look towards. Uh, the thing that gives us that assurance is what Jesus has done on the cross. I absolutely love my grandmother's favorite verse was Philippians 1.6, and it says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when? At the day of Jesus Christ. It is coming. It is sure. It is now. It is then. It is what we are called to. And gosh, it is beautiful. Can we live in it? Let's live in it today. Let's pray.